Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone. Welcome to DAF Vav of our Masecha Saita podcast. We are excited to continue. Um, Devor is going to start the DAF and I'll hopefully share one or two insights as well. All right, so we're right at the top of Dafav Ahmed Aleph. It's the first line, the last word on the line. Just going to give a recap and give us some context for what we're doing here. We're right now discussing the idea that comes from our Mishnah, um, which is that a woman who's declared a suffix saita, right, a woman who um, is suspected of perhaps committing adultery, she is forbidden to be intimate with her husband um, until her status is verified and she drinks the soda waters. Um, but also, she is still considered married in the sense that she would need a get in order to marry another man. Similarly, if her husband were to die before her status is verified, before she drinks the waters, and they have no children, and he has a brother who's eligible for yibum, right? then she is forbidden to actually perform Yibam and marry her husband's brother. However, she does still need to do Chalitza, right? Which is the parallel to a get, right? A sort of release ceremony where she releases herself from that bond to her husband's brother, right? And so the question is why, right? You would think it's either or either she's married, right? And then she could do Yibam with her husband's brother or she's not married. And then she doesn't even need to do Chalitza. Why is she kind of in this limbo state? So we gave some answers last last time. Uh, and now we're going to have another answer from Rabbi Yosef. So there are those who say, who give an answer to this question, our Rabbi Yosef, that Rabbi Yosef said, the Pasuk calls this person Acher. What, what Pasuk are you referring to? So we mentioned this also last time. This Pasuk is from Devarim, it's discussing a man who divorces his wife due to um, finding some impropriety, right? Due to his wife, you know, being immoral in some way. So, and the Pasuk says, the yatsa mi right? So should this, so this woman, it should be, leave his house and be divorced, halcha, and then she goes on her way, and then she can be to another man, another man can marry her. The Pasuk here calls this man Acher, which is kind of a derogatory word, right? He's not like the first man mentioned in the Pasuk. Because the first man, right, this woman's first husband, um, expelled evil from her house, right? She divorced this um, woman who was acting improperly. Um, and the second man um, took this this um, evil, this improper, this woman with improper behavior into his house, right? So the Pasa clearly does not right, uh, paint this second husband in a favorable light, right? Right, and and if that's the case, should we require right this this uh, first husband's brother to marry her, right? If it's if it's not considered a if the pasuk doesn't look at it positively to marry this woman who is um, 
who's acting improperly, certainly we should not make it a mitzvah, right, for this husband's brother to marry her should the woman be in the Sota category. Amarle Abaya responds to review safe and says, Okay, so if what you're saying is true, so let's say this woman, right, who is, um, you know, committed adultery or some other improper behavior, she divorces her first husband, then she marries a second husband, and then that second husband dies below Bana without children. Lortis Yabim is not the halacha that she does do Yibam in that case. Right, right. Even though the pasuk calls this second husband Acher, even though she's still considered still considered, you know, a negative thing to marry this woman, she does still have the option of doing yibum um, with a later marriage. Right. So, if if why is that the case? So we said answer is um, Right. So, but okay, it's true. But in the second marriage, right, she had a good reputation. She maintained proper behavior, and therefore, um, should her second husband die, she would have the option of doing yibum. All right. So that's Rabbi Yosef's answer. Rava is going to give us another answer, another reason why this woman who is, um who is presumed to, who have, is suspected of committing adultery cannot do yibum. So he says, Kavachimer, it's really a Kavachimer. So im nasta b'mutarla, if this woman, right, who was previously permitted to her husband, right, that's the default state, is now forbidden, right? So she's forbidden to the man that she was initially permitted to. Ba'asarla kolshikin, right, is it not how much more so she should be forbidden to that which is for bidden to her, right? Because generally, um, a woman and her brother-in-law is a forbidden, that's an incestuous relationship, right? Um, and Yibum is an exception to that rule. But under normal circumstances, it's actually um, usher for this woman to marry um, her husband's brother, right? So, so if, so again, if um, this Suffix says that this woman who's um, suspected of committing adultery is forbidden to her husband, which is permitted to her, how much more so we shouldn't exempt her, right? We shouldn't make that which is forbidden to her, her brother-in-law, permitted to her. Amrle Abaye, so Abaye um, tries to raise an objection to this as well. So he says, hmm, if that's true, right, that we always apply this Kalva Chomer, what about this case? So a Kangadal who um, betrothes or he marries a, a widow, which is forbidden, right? It's a forbidden marriage, but the Kedushin is effective, right? Umes, right? And now, and her, and the Kohen Gadol dies. The Yeshlo Ach Kohen Hedio. And this Kohen Gadol has a brother who's a regular Kohen, right? And a regular Kohen is allowed to marry a widow, right? It's just a Kohen Gadol who's not allowed to marry a widow. So lotus yabim, right? Uh, lotus yabim. So if you, so, we know the halacha in that case is that there is ibum, right? But Abai is saying, Rabbi, based on your logic, lotus yabim, this wife, this widow who is the wife of the kohen gadol, should not do yibum. Why? Im if she is forbidden to her first husband, and generally first husbands are permitted, right? So we shouldn't make her brother-in-law, who's generally forbidden to her, um, permitted to her and allow her to do yibum. So we say no. That's not really the same case. This case with the Kohen Gadol is not parallel to the case with the Sota. Why? 
Ha'asira Bekaima, right? So this, um, this Isser, right, of the Kohen Gadol marrying the widow um, was there from the beginning. In the case of the Sota and her husband, initially they were permitted to each other. And then after some point, after she secluded herself with this man, they became forbidden to each other. But this Kohen Gadol and his wife were always forbidden to each other, right? There was always um, an Isser there. Um, so therefore, right, Mutterla, right, so she was ever like, can we say that they were, he, uh, he was permitted to her? Asserla, right? <laughs> he was, the, this Kohen Kata was forbidden to her, right? So this is not a, uh, a good refutation. Ella, however, we're gonna, we're gonna bring another, um, refutation. What about this case? It's just going to Nas Nensa, right? So a wife of a coin who was raped, um, and generally in that case, that, that wife, unfortunately, is not permitted to marry, uh, to go back to her husband, right? If it's a regular Jew, she would be permitted because she didn't engage willingly. But should it be a kind, she's not, the wife is not allowed to remarry. So to go back to her husband. So, right, so there's Asia's kind of Shenanza, right? This wife of a coin who was raped, Umbez, right? And then her husband then died, right? So she hadn't divorced her husband yet. Um, and then her husband died, right, without children. And he has a brother who is a Chalal. A Chalal is a descendant of Kohanim who is disqualified from the Kahuna in some way. So the way that would happen is if his father, who is a Kohen, right, um, married a woman who is, say, a divorcee, right, forbidden to the Kahuna. So in that case, the child of such a marriage is considered uh, halal, right? He is no longer has the holiness of a kahuna, and therefore that halal can marry a, a divorcee or, you know, any, can marry any woman just like Israel. Right? So this, this Kohen, this full-blooded Kohen, right, has a half-brother who's a halal, right? Um, and the halacha is in that case, this woman, this wife of the Kohen, can do yibum with her half-brother-in-law who is a halal, right? But says Abaya, if we do, if we apply the call of Homer here, Lotus Yavim, she should not do Yibam. Why? If Nasraba Mutterla, if, right, this woman was initially permitted to her Kohen husband, and then we forbade her to that which was forbidden for her, right? But Asarla Kolshikin, should, shouldn't she also be forbidden to her brother-in-law, which was normally forbidden to her? So you say, nope, this is, this case is also not really analogous. Oh, nice be Yisrael, mystery Shari, because a woman who is raped is is allowed to go back to her Yisrael or non kohen husband, right? But Gabi Dahai like Yisrael and and um, relative to her brother, her halal brother-in-law, there was never an Yisrael to begin with, and so in that case, right, she's allowed to do yibum. In contrast, in our case with the Saita, right. Any any person, any man who has a, a wife who commits adultery is forbidden to that wife. So that's a that's an issue which is across the board, both for the husband and for the brother. Okay, so thus concludes the discussion of the Gemara on our first question. Okay, just a little insight on going back to what we were saying before. Um, the other um, when we said that um, right right. 
relative to this this new um, case of Yibam, relative to this new husband, her her remarriage, um, right? We said the same type of a kaima, right? Like she she kind of established a good name, right? So sort of discussion amongst the commentaries, um, why why would it be different, right? She still has the same past. Um, what changed with this new marriage that all of a sudden we don't consider her, um, you know, um, having this tainted um, reputation? So. So some of the commenters explain that, you know, there's this famous, famous um, um, idea that on a wedding day, a chas and kala are forgiven for all of their sins, right? Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons given for why um, people, there's a minhag to fast on the wedding day, right? Because the wedding day is compared to Yom Kippur. Um, and there's actually like a whole discussion about how um, there's a few reasons given um in in uh, amongst the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch for why the reason for this minhag for why um, people fast on their wedding day and there's actually this really beautiful sicha where the rabbi kind of compares those three reasons that are given for why we fast on our wedding day to the different opinions about Yom Kippur that you know it says right the, the does the day itself of Yom Kippur atone for our sins is it just that like just when Yom Kippur comes along your sins automatically go away um, or is it that you have to do tshuva and if it's sort of like an opportune time to do tshuva and your tshuva will be effective if you do tshuva on that day and then there's sort of like an in-between opinion that that says well it's sort of like it sort of has to be both right there's both elements there and you can't completely ignore ignore the day um, altogether but as long as you do some sort of um, movement towards tshuva that's already enough um, and sort of compares that to, to a wedding day as well that there's sort of these three elements to, to the holiness of a wedding day that on the one one hand, it's an opportune time for the people getting married to actually do to do tshuva. Um, but besides that, there's also sort of this objective quality to the day itself that that cleanses them of any past any past misdeeds. And this has to do with the fact that you know a wedding is considered a very holy time when there's this like revelation of something you know this very lofty um, revelation similar to Yom Kippur, which is why it has that that um, essential power. So. Wow, yeah, it's just the act of marriage itself. No, no added. Uh, exactly. So, which is why like, just the that she remarried already gives it gives her like a clean slate to some extent, right? Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, what a what a great way to end off our first right the first section of the Gemara, uh, and now we're gonna we're gonna move on to a new Mishnah. So. Let's get started. So the Mishnah says, "Ve'elu asuris melachol truma." These women are forbidden to eat truma. Parentheses should they be married to a kohen, right? So if generally a woman, even if she's not a koheness, right, she comes from a regular old Yisrael family, if she marries a kohen while she is married, um, she is, or while she has children alive from that marriage, um, she is permitted to eat truma. However, in, you know, in a case where she's divorced or in a case where she's suspected of adultery or she is definitely, she is no longer able to eat truma, right? So these are the cases where um, a woman, if she's married to a Cohen, can pass this point, she cannot eat truma anymore. Hymeris Tamea Anila, right? So should a woman say, I am forbidden to you, meaning she admits that she committed adultery. Bishabau Adim Shehitmea, or should witnesses come? And testify that this woman committed adultery. Or should a woman, right, uh, be taken to the base of Mikdash to drink the water? And then she says, hey, I, I don't want to drink. 
Vishabala ain't a Rosh Hashkaisa, or should the husband say, I do not want it to, even though she qualifies to be, you know, a Saita, I do not want to take her to drink the waters. Or last case, Vishabala Bala Baderich, right? Should the woman, uh, should the husband be intimate with his wife on the way to the base of Mekdash to take her to um, drink the Saita waters? We're going to learn out where we learn this from later but in general it says um the in order for the water to test the woman right the husband himself also has to be clean from any sudden this is one of the things which would disqualify him right from disqualify the waters from working because he himself is not have a clean record all right so that's the mishnah um now let's dive right into the gemara so amar of amram Aaron said, Hamilsa Amarlan Roshesis. There was a teaching that Roshesis said, but Anharlan Indian Mimastesan. And he illuminated it, right? He proved this idea from our Mishnah. So, what is this teaching? Saita Shigishla Aden Mimadina Sayam. Should there be a Saita? Right? So, we don't know if she committed adultery. No one knows right here if she committed adultery. But there are witnesses, Mimadina Sayam, overseas somewhere that, um, you know, that, that did uh, observe her co- uh, committing adultery, in her mind by Kenaisa, then the waters don't check her, right? So to the people in, you know, in your, like in Israel, right, nobody knows that she committed adultery and it looks like, oh, the waters didn't check her and it looks like she's completely innocent, but really she is guilty because there are witnesses in, you know, America somewhere that saw her and we just don't know about them, right? So this is a very... The girls go back and forth, right, trying to figure out, um, you know, is this true, right? Because this seems quite uh, interesting, right? So my time, what, what is, how does Roshashis prove this? So the Amarkra, the Pusik says, So should, should she seclude herself? And then she becomes impure, uh, and there's no witness that sees her. Now, <laughs> those of you who are with us, and two dots ago, um, or from the beginning, you're probably wondering, wait, didn't we just spend so long, like, talking about how the aid ain't, how this pustic is talking about a woman who definitely committed adultery, and it's saying there's only one witness, and, right, if you, so, Rashi addresses that, um, and that's true, but the simple meaning of the pusuk still see, is is stuck talking about this case. The simple meaning of the pusuk is talking about a woman who's suspected of adultery, and the eight by means there were no witnesses, right? So this pusuk has both meanings inside of it. Okay, so that was just a parenthetical clarification if you had that question. So, um, anyways, the pusuk says the eight but there was no witness. So, right? So like as a yadeba, meaning that nobody knew about it. La fuke, this pusuk is excluding. This the pasuk is excluding this case where there are people who know about it. They're just not here. Okay, the Anharlan Eyanin Mimasnisin and Rav proves this point from our very Mishnah. How so? Dikatani. So the Mishnah teaches one of the cases where a woman is disqualified for meaning truma is Vishabaula Edim Shehitmeya. Right, there were witnesses who come and say that she committed adultery. So to ask to Adam Amos, so when did these witnesses come? Enema Mikame Detishti. So let's say you say, we're talking about a case where these witnesses came before she drank the waters. Zainahi. So in that case, she's an adulteress, right? She's a, someone who definitely committed adultery, and that's obvious, 
right? That's that's already included in the first case in the Mishnah where the woman said, I committed adultery, right? So that can't be what the Mishnah means. So the Mishnah must be talking about where these this woman already drank the waters and she was fine. And then, um, right, and then these witnesses came. So, so if you say, you know, if there are witnesses across the world that aren't there yet, then the waters don't check her. This makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's entirely possible that the waters checked her and she was healthy and she was fine. And then they didn't check her, not because she was innocent, but just because there were witnesses somewhere across the world. And then the witnesses came, right? And they said that she committed adultery. Great, that works. Then this makes total sense. Allah, but Ia Marta, mine, but can I say, if you say that the waters do check her no matter what, right? Tigli Right, then you should, the fact that the waters didn't check her should reveal that these witnesses who came later are false witnesses, right? Because if the waters um, always check her, then just the fact that the waters didn't check her means she's innocent, which means that these witnesses who say that she committed adultery must be lying, right? So, Right, so that's that's Rev Shatius's proof uh, that it must be the waters don't check her if there are witnesses across the world. Amar le Rev Yosef. <laughs> so Rev Yosef says, no, I have another explanation for our Mishnah. Right? So it could be possible. Amalacha, my invoke. No, the waters check her, even if there are witnesses across the world. But, so how could it be that sh- she would end up being told that waters wouldn't affect her and then later witnesses come and say she committed adultery and we believe them? Right? So the reason why the waters didn't check her is because she had a merit, right? Um, that that um, because of this merit, the waters didn't affect her. Right, we're going to talk about this a lot later in the bar, but there's such a thing, right? Let's discuss that. Should a woman have a certain mitzvah that she did, that 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 merit could um, suspend the punishment or at least delay it for some time. Okay, but my kamafli. So, what are Rosheesis and Rav Yosef arguing about? Why do they explain this mishnah in different ways? So they're arguing out with Misnavna the Rebbe in the Mishnah that talks about the woman deteriorating uh, that Rebbe that Rebbe uh, speaks about. Okay, so this is the Mishnah that we're actually going to bump into later on Dachof Um So what the Mishnah says, and the Mishnah teaches, Rebbe, where Rebbe says, Right, so the aschut should a woman have a merit that suspends right the punishment of the waters. Uh, she doesn't give birth to children. Um, she doesn't. Mr. Um, she doesn't. There's no favorable. She doesn't get healthier. She's not blessed by the waters, but rather she, she her health deteriorates until the end. She dies with the same death. Right, her hips basically fold in and her stomach explodes um, after a prolonged period of time. Um, so. Right, so that's what Rebbe says. Now, this is Rebbe's opinion, which is which implied in that is that the Chachamim, right, disagree with Rebbe in some way. Right, so but so Rav Sheshes Sever, Bain Rebbe, Bain Lerabanan, Hebis Namda. Rav says, yeah, both is a universal belief, like Rebbe and all the other Chachamim, they all believe that should a woman have a schus, right, even if she has a merit, she's, her health is still going to deteriorate. So it will still be immediately apparent when she drinks the water that she's guilty. <laughs> Right. So that's why right, he comes up with a different explanation that that uh, she had their Adam across the world. Rabbi Yosef, but in contrast, Rabbi Yosef thinks the Rabbi, ha, uh, the Rabbi 
Right. Rabbi Yosef says no. Only Rebbe believes that the woman, um, woman's health deteriorates right away. Lerabanan, according to the Rabbanan, the majority opinion, she actually her health would not deteriorate, right? And she would appear totally fine. Right. Um, right, so that's that's what they were arguing about. Okay. Now we're gonna have another objection to Rav Papa's uh, teaching. So may said Rav Semi Barashi. Uh, Rashi said, Rav Omer, sorry, it's actually not going to be to Rav Papa's teaching. It's going to be to, sorry, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is an infection to Rav Papa's teaching. Okay, so may said Rav Semi Barashi, Rav Semi Barashi, uh, raise an objection. Rabbi Shimon Omer, right? Rabbi Shimon says, actually in that same Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon says, There's no such thing, right? This whole idea that like the woman could have a merit and that will suspend the punishment of the waters. He doesn't, he doesn't hold of it. And if you, because if you're going to say that the woman could have a merit, which suspends the punishment of the waters, right? You're going to, diminish the respect for the water in the eyes of all the women who drink because a woman's going to drink she's not going to realize that um and then she's going to she knows that she committed adultery and she's going to see that she survived and she's not going to realize that it's because of some merit and then she's going to think that the waters don't work and also in addition to that atamozi shamra alatahirishashasu right you're going to um like um make a bad name uh, over all of the pure women who drink because you're going to have a woman who drinks and she survives and she's going to be totally healthy. And then people are going to say, oh, you know what? She really did commit adultery, but it's just because she had a marriage and that's why it didn't work. Right. So once you, once you add in the Zuchus card, right, things get, you create a lot of issues. Right. And so that's why Rabbi Shimon doesn't like this whole thing. Um, right, people are going to say that these pure women are actually committed adultery and Vitala Hemsklus, and it just there's their merit which which delayed the punishment, right? So that's what we're that's where we opinion. So Rav Shemi Rashi says, then Isa Yeshla Edom and Medina Sayam, Namiyatu Mosi Shem Ra'al Tahar Shashasu. Right? And so by Rabbi Shimon, if we're going to use put Rabbi Shimon's logic, right? That there's that same issue with the idea of having Adem across the world, right? If we say there's Adem across the world, which make the waters not work, then you're also going to um, make a bad name over all the, you know, innocent women who drink, right? People are going to say, oh, they really were impure, but they just had witnesses which observed them and they're not here now. Right, so the Gemara answers, indeed, you're right. Lura Rishiman Kamarta, right? You're talking about from a Rishiman's perspective. Lura Rishiman, midishus la talia, edem nami la talia. Right, according to Rabbi Shimon, just like he says that um, a woman having a merit doesn't suspend the punishment, also, um, also like witnesses who observed the event do not suspend the punishment, right? Okay. Now uh, we're gonna have another objection, another attack against Rav Shashis, This time from Rav. Masev Rav, right? Rav raises an objection from a another Mishnah, which we're gonna see later. So the Elu So before we start, I just want to give a quick introduction to carbonized mincha, right? The, the halachas that are relevant to over here. So um, a carbonized mincha, right, is a meal offering. 
Um, and there's sort of two stages of sanctifying the mincha. So there's a stage where you just um, take the flour, the measure of flour that you're going to be using, and you set it aside and you declare, okay, this flour is going to be used for a carbon. There is now a holiness attached to this flour. If this flour should become tame, or you no longer need, you realize you no longer need to bring this carbon for whatever reason, what you have to do is you have to redeem it. What that means is that you have to transfer the holiness of that flour to a coin, right? Use that coin to buy other whole, like carbonized mincha, and then you can now use this flour for ordinary mundane use, right? You can't, you need, it's that redemption step is important because there's a certain holiness attached to it. Then there's another stage, right? After the flour is set aside, should this flour then be put into a klishares, into the vessel of the Vesa Mikdash, that holy vessel, then there's an even higher level of impurity, of, of Kedusha. And if at that point, after it's put into the vessel, it becomes impure or you no longer need the carbon, you can no longer redeem it. You no longer have that option um, and you actually just have to burn it, right? If you become semi or you no longer need it, you have to just burn it because you can't use it for any ordinary purpose, okay? So the Elish Shimon Kaseim Nesrafeis, these are the women who their their minchais, right? We know that a Saita brings a carbon mincha. Their mincha is burned, right? Because um, we right because we can't use it for ordinary use, but it's also not fit to be offered on the mizbeach. Haimeris Tameani. So should a woman say, you know, I committed adultery, so then we don't offer her mincha because we don't need to do the Saita process. Bishubela Edim Shitmeya. Right. And uh, should witnesses come and say that she was impure? So, right. So that's that's the that's the part, words that are important. So to us, Amos, when did these witnesses come and say that she was impure? Elema mikame de Right. So maybe you could say this happened before it was sanctified in that klisharis, in that vessel, right? So if that's the case, you could just redeem it and then it could revert back to being coolant. Right? So then, then we shouldn't burn it. We must be talking about a situation where this meal offering was already sanctified in the, right, in the klisharis. Um, and then the witnesses come. Right tonight, right? So Ia Marta Bashalma Mayan Baikin Isa. Right. So if you say that the waters check her, even if there are witnesses across the world, Alma Basmakadesh Umakarihi, right? So then at the time that this flower was put into the cliches, it was fit to be sanctified and brought because the waters are in effect and therefore the minka works and everything, right? The kadusha takes effect. Um, and since it was sanctified, Shaper Kadesh, right now, too, this flower is sanctified and it must be burnt rather than being redeemed. Uh, right? And that's why her mincha is burnt. All right. But if you say, like Rav Sheshesh says, that if there are witnesses across the world, the water does not check her. Tigli mil salamafreya, then you should retroactively. Um, say right that when this flower was originally sanctified in the klisharis it was sanctified in error why because had they known right that there are witnesses across the world right the fact that there are witnesses across the world means that the cyta process is um does not work 
right? And therefore, there's no kedusha in that mincha, right? It's a it's a mistaken kedusha, um, and in that case, right, if there's a mis- if the if the flour is put into the klisharis by mistake, then there's no kedusha in that in that flower, the tape of and so it should be able to be redeemed. Right? So, right, we have this issue, according to Rev Shishis, right? How could it be that, on the one hand, the, the flower is considered holy to the extent that it needs to be burned, right, if, if, we, if the witnesses come? Um, but on the other hand, we say, oh, the what actually the whole process isn't really holy, it's really work, right, if the witnesses are across the world. So, Amar of Huda, Rabbi Huda me uh, Descartes. Rabbi Huda from the city of Descartes said, "Kigon shezinsa ba'azar." So we're not talking when these witnesses come. We're not talking about witnesses who say that she committed adultery with that original man who she was warned about. We're talking about when she committed adultery in the azara, in the courtyard of the base of Mikdash. So it's a very limited situation. Right. So initially, like when they sanctified the flower and the klisharis. It was it was kadosh, right? Because there were no witnesses that witnessed her act with that man, um, right? So then, then it works. Matkifla Rav Misharshia, and Rav Misharshia is like, wait, Rav Yehuda, that is an extremely that case would never happen. Like, there is no pot. Like, how is it possible this woman would commit adultery in the Azara? That we're gonna read later that there was this whole process. Part of the process of the site was that there would be these kohanim, which would actually escort her through the base of Mekdash and make sure that doesn't happen. So, like my answers, right? It's possible that she committed adultery with one of her um, escorts. Right, could it one of her escorts? Rav Ashi gives a different answer. Rav Ashi Amar, Rav Ashi says, It's possible she needed to attend to her needs, go to the bathroom. Right, right? The, 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 her escorts, right, the Kohanim who are escorting her, they're not keeping her in jail, right? She can excuse, her, excuse herself for a minute and find some way of getting away and uh, committing adultery. So Rav Papa says, so, but again, even with all that explanation, um, accepting Rabbi Huda's view limits that Mishnah to a very, very small set of cases, right? That with a very small case where the woman commits adultery in the Zara and the witnesses come in to that, right? So Rav Papa says, no, Rav Papa, Amar, Le'olam, Kedem, Rinan, right? Really, this, this Mishnah, take the Mishnah at face value. It's witnesses that come and say this woman committed adultery with that original man that she was warned about. When it says that this, um, and it's like you said, really the halacha should be that this this um, mincha should should be able to be redeemed and used for ordinary use um, because it's not really holy, right? It was sanctified in error. But midurabanan gzera, right? They they made gzera midurabanan that it should be burned. Why? Shema Yomrum would see in me klisharis l'chol. They might, people will, won't realize that these were like unique circumstances and they'll say, hey, look, they just took a flower offering from a klisharis and then they made it, they used it for ordinary use, right? And they're not going to realize that in this case it was sanctified by mistake, right? So they just said across the board, whenever it's in a klisharis, just burn it. Rav Mari. So Rav Mari says, hey, that's that's not true. We don't always make a gzera that you burn stuff from klisharis. Why? So nits, um, so we're gonna bring a a um 
another Mishnah, right, was going to bring a question. So the beginning of this Mishnah is not relevant to the question. So that's why I'm going to go through it quickly. And I'm going to point out when we have a, a part which is relevant to our question. Right, so, right, so her men can become impure before it's sanctified uh, in a vessel. It's like almond chayes, and it should be uh, redeemed. Right, should it be um, sanctified in a vessel? Right, then it's like all manchas and it should be burnt. Right, so let's say the um, the coin took a fistful of that um, meal offering, but he wasn't able to um, bring it right until either the husband died or the woman died. Um, it's like all manchas and it should be burnt. Let's say he brought that fistful, but he wasn't able to eat the leftovers. Right, Gohanim generally eat the leftovers. They just take a fistful of the mincha, they burn it on the mezveak, and then they go ahead and eat the leftovers. So let's say the, the coin wasn't able to eat the leftovers before the woman or her husband died. Where it's like all of their mincha, and it should be eaten. Right, so because it came to resolve a doubt, and it did actually resolve that doubt. Right, so um, you can then eat it. Um... Come and say that she is tame, that her mincha is burnt. Okay, now this next line is the line we want to focus on. Right, so let's say her, her mincha was placed into a klishare, it was sanctified, and then her Adam, then Adam come and say that she actually committed adultery, and then another two Adam right disqualify that first set of Adam right it's called Adam's and they say hey you can never have seen that woman commit adultery you're lying right so in that case Minchasa Hulit right her Mincha sorry I I said that wrong I scratched what I just said her when she says Adeha it means the Adam of her who witnessed her um secluded or like or, or her husband warning her, right? So if those Edom are found to be Zomimim, right, they were lying, Minchasa Hulin, her Mincha um, is now able to be used for ordinary use. You could just redeem it and use it for ordinary use. Right? So this directly conflicts what we said. What do you mean there was a Xera that we always that we always um, burn stuff that was sanctified in Ecclesiastes. This Mishnah clearly says it was sanctified in Ecclesiastes, and then because their witnesses are disqualified, we we use it for ordinary use. So we say, no, this is different. Adam Zomim, come on, we're talking, you're, t- you're trying to raise a question from Adam Zomim. Adam Zomim, Kala Islay, right? Whenever they're Adam Zomim, where Adam are disqualified like that, like that is a very public um, thing. Everyone's going to know about that. So no one's going to like make a mistake and say, oh, we, we know they're going to realize that this case is different because they're Adam's own name. Just a note about Adam's own here, by the way. So, so, um, first of all, the, we were saying before about the Adam we're talking about that are becoming Adam's own women. Um, you're saying it could either be for any Stira, the witnesses who saw her being secluded or those who saw her, who saw them, saw the witness the warning. So the Miri actually says that it's it's not likely that it's referring to the Aiden who saw, who witnessed the warning because the wife and her husband were both there at the warning, right? So like to have Aiden, you know, be to have a god you know uh, false Aiden for that seems unlikely. So it's more likely referring to Aiden Stira, the Aiden who saw her being secluded, that they would those are potentially false witnesses. Um and then the question is, you know, that we know that the Pasak in the Torah when it talks about Aiden Zaimimin specifically, and again Aiden Zaimimin is when um Witnesses are disqualified 
Um, specifically because other witnesses come along and say that they were somewhere else at the time that they say they saw this thing happen. So the Torah gives a very specific punishment that we give those Edom Zimmerman, and that is, right, we do to them kasher zamam, like they, like they plotted. Like whatever, whatever they um, were get trying to get the um, um, the person they're, win- they're, they're testifying about, whatever was going to be done to, whatever punishment would have been done to them is then done to the Adam Zimmerman. So the question is with the Saita, what's, um, what, what do we do to them? <laughs> so he goes through the possibility. He says, you could say maybe that they should pay the Ksuba, right? Because, um, you know, the woman, if she is, is um, deemed Nisha Saita, she would lose, she would lose, uh, she would lose her Ksuba. The money for Ksuba. Um, but you can't really say that because the Eden themselves are not enough to get her to lose her Ksuba, right? She has to, the Eden sort of render her a Saita, but she only actually loses her Ksuba if she then goes through the process and is, and is proven to be guilty, right? Um, so, so that wouldn't be enough to, for her to lose the Ksuba. Um, just their own, that's just her has to be alone. So you can't say that that's what's going to happen to that. Like that's, that's the Kasher's on love. Um, the, then the other option, I guess, potentially would be that they should drink the waters, the Saita waters, right? Which seems also a little ridiculous because obviously the Saita waters only work for an actual Saita, not just for a random person who's, <laughs> we're doing the same punishment to them. So anyway, he concludes that these Adam Zimmerman would get Malkais, right? Which is just like the standard punishment would give Adam Zimmerman anyway, anytime we can't come up with a, um, you know, the, the regular punishment, which would have been given to them, doesn't really make sense, right, for those items. Um, anyway, just an interesting... Right, just their go-to punishment. We're big fans yeah, of exactly. The it, always, like, like the Saita, there are, like, many other examples of that where, you know, whatever they're testifying about is not possible. Like, it doesn't make sense, logically, to just do it to the items. I mean, so... So, when in doubt... Generic. Yeah. Marcus, right. Cool. Just a note, when you said it's probably the 8A Stira, I noticed that Rashi actually says it was 8A Stira. So he's probably, ah, okay. yeah. probably intended that same thing, that it, it's referring specifically to the witnesses who observed her being secluded. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great. So we're moving right along. So right, we just uh, deflected that that uh, objection to Rav Shashis. And so Rav Shashis is standing t- tall and strong. Right, we refuted all objections. Um, and now, Islahu Tanya Kavaseder of Shashis. Now, we actually have a Brisa which supports Rav Shashis's teaching, right? That if they're a witness of the world the, the, that observed the woman committing adultery, the Saita waters don't work, right? There's a Brisa which, which supports it, yay. The law of Mitame. However, it's not the same reasoning that Rav Shashis gave, right? So, what does the Brisa say? Tahara. So the, the Brisa is expounding on a Pasuk in Bamidbar, um, which says, right in the Parsha Saita, which says, that if the woman is not impure, right, if the woman is not impure, and she is pure, he, right, she is, and then she's clean, and she will be able to sow a seed she'll have children right so there's a lot of redundancy in this passage right she's not impure and then she is pure and then she's clean right so the the bryce here is going to darshan right it's going to um expound and derive halachas from the extra words here so it says to hire right it says the extra word she is pure right? it's just in addition to saying she's not impure it says she is pure to exclude, not in a case where she has witnesses um, across the world. 
Utahira, it adds the word, it adds a vav, right? But the waters don't work when there's a schus, which can be attributed to her. He then adds the word he, Velaisha Yisu, the Yitnu Balabana. But not in a case where the sacred waters don't work, in a case where the women who weave by the moonlight, right, the gossipers of the town are talking about her, right? So if it's a case where everyone's talking about her and basically everyone kind of knows that she's probably committed adultery, the waters don't work because we don't, we don't, you know, that we're not going to make a miracle. We're not going to, um, Go through like the waters aren't going to make a miracle for her if there's already this presumption that she has this bad reputation. Okay, so that's that's what that's the Bryce. So the Bryce learns all of these three uh, exclusions from the Pasuk. So we're like, okay, if this is from a Pasuk, then remember Rabbi Shimon from a while ago? So Rabbi Shimon had said that like, um, he doesn't believe in the idea that that um, that a schus can delay the punishment. Right for various reasons. So, how can he say that? So, Rabbi Shimon doesn't think the extra vav in the pasuk means anything. Right, so that's why he he doesn't need to say that there's an exclusion for aschus. But right, Rabbi Shimon would have to admit that that um, if there are edim across the world, um, then the waters don't work. Right, so. Good, we shouldn't believe that, right? We just said, remember we said before that by Shimon's, Rabbi Shimon's same logic, if we allow, if we say the waters don't work, there are witnesses across the world, wouldn't that, um, you know, cast aspersions on whether the waters work and aspersion on these women who are pure? So we say, that's not a common occurrence, right? It doesn't commonly happen. Um, and so therefore, we're, like, Rabbi Shimon wouldn't be worried about that. And so Rabbi Shimon would agree that the waters don't work in such a case. Um, so that's it. We're, that's, we're just going to finish right here, right on the top of Doff Zion. Perfect. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll continue next time with, uh, we'll be doing too much nice uh, <laughs> in the next Doff, so that'll be fun. All yeah. right, thank you so much for joining, and we will see you next time. Bye.